Well, welcome to our brand new series, GPS, Navigating the Bible. It's going to be an exciting series. But before we jump into that, uh, given that it is Father's Day, I wanted to kind of ask a question to you fathers who are here this weekend and at our 111th campus. Do some of you ever get a little put out when your family questions your sense of direction or suggest that you might be lost. Anybody besides me as a dad just kind of get a little put off by that? Okay, several of you do, all right? I'd like to just have a word with those of you who are uh, the people who like to suggest sometimes that we might be lost or have uh, a lack of direction. I I want you to know that as men, uh, and then specifically as fathers, we never get lost. Okay, I just want you to know that, all right? Uh, you're into the destination. We as men and we as fathers, we are into the journey. Anybody, anybody can get in a car, read a map, follow directions, and get from point A to point B on time. But where's the adventure? Where is the challenge? Where is the risk? Where is the excitement in that? I tell you, it's not there at all. So every once in a while, we have to have the adventure, the challenge, the risk. And so it's a journey. We know where we're going. We have an internal compass inside. We always get you there, don't we? So next time, all right, next time you think that maybe we're lost or maybe we don't know where we're going, just chill and enjoy the journey. Right, men? Yeah. All right. I see a lot of faces that aren't convinced of what I just said. All right. But I tried my best, dads. I tried my best to help you over that. Now, uh, seriously, it's, it's one thing to uh, lose your way uh, on, on your vacation when you're trying to get to your favorite place or when you're going somewhere that you've never been before. But seriously, When it comes to your life, not just your life, but the life of those you love, the life of those who you influence, listen carefully, whether you're a man or a woman, young or old, father, mother, single, doesn't matter who you are, listen carefully, you cannot afford to get lost. When it comes to life, Your life and the lives of those that you influence in your home, at work, in the community, you have to know where you're going. It is so very important. And that's what's so wonderful about the Word of God. Whether you have it between two leather pages or hardbound pages, or whether you have it on an electronic form like an iPad or an iPod or whatever it is that you use, the wonderful thing is that God has given us His amazing, infallible, inspired, authoritative Word to be our personal GPS for life. And God invites us to stake our lives on his word and allow his word to guide us and direct us in all of the decisions that we'll ever make. 
And I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God who gave me the Bible. But I respect and revere his word because his word is his directions for my life. It is the GPS, the compass for my life. It is here to guide and direct my life and keep me out of so much trouble and uh, making a mess out of my life if I'll just trust His word, God says, it'll go well with me. I love this passage. I memorized it years ago in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8. It says, be strong and very courageous. Talking now to Joshua. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continuously. Continuously. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then. Only when? Only then. Only after you've read it continuously, studied it, and seek to obey it, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. That's quite a promise, isn't it? That's quite a blessing to know that I can go to one book, infallible, inspired, authoritative book, and if I'll base my life on this book, the God who gave this book to me, then... I'm going to have a lot more success in life than I'm going to have failures and a lot more blessings than messes in my life. How about it? Are you staking your life on this book? Do you trust this book? I'm going to give a little confession here this weekend. I've not always had a rock-solid confidence in this book called the Bible. I went through a period in my life where I really questioned whether or not I could trust this book. Now, don't misunderstand me. I I grew up in a Christian home. I have been going to church since the womb. All right? I have been to Sunday school. I have been to Bible studies. I've heard and given more sermons than I care to remember. I learned to sing the song when I was a little boy. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The what? The B-I-B-L-E. And yet, when I became a teenager, how many of you can remember being a teenager? Oh, okay, all right. Maybe some of you are this weekend. When I became a teenager, though, I started to really question my faith. I really started to question whether or not I really believed this stuff. I also realized, you know what, this is what my parents believe, but, you know, do I actually believe this? And I think it's fairly normal when you get into your adolescent years to begin to question uh, your faith, to begin to question the truth. And I don't think there's anything bad about that. Actually, I think it's a really good, healthy thing to do. And so I really began to question whether I believed in this or not. If it was a bunch of fairy tales, it was myths, it was half-truth and, and half-myth. And, and I really struggled with that. And I remember taking a philosophy class in college, and that did not help me. That made it worse. 
Now I had all kinds of questions swimming in my mind. And then I went to grad school, to a theological graduate school, and uh, everything was going really well for me until I took this class from a professor who was kind of liberal in his outlook, and he began questioning the Word of God. And he suggested that maybe not all of the Word of God could actually be taken as truth. And when he said that, I thought to myself, well, if not all of it can be, then how do you decide what of God's word can be taken as truth. And then I had, a, I had a senior project I had to do on the life of a theologian, a very famous theologian, who said that the word of God is only inspired as it speaks to you. And I had already started pastoring a church, and I was a mental, emotional, and a spiritual mess as a result of that. I mean, my, my confidence was shaken. Can I actually believe and trust in God's word? And I had to get answers, and I had to get answers quickly. So I decided to stop listening to what everybody else said, began to study the Bible for myself and really take it in. And then I began to read a, a uh, segment of literature called uh, Apologetics. And uh, apologetics has to do with the defense of the faith, not the apology for the faith. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means the defense of the faith. For instance, that word, that Greek word is actually used by Peter in a letter he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what he said. He said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you, or, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to give an apologia or a defense of it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear that if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And so I began to read the great apologists who many of them had started out to disprove the Bible, to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But when they saw the, the uh, mountains of evidence, actually became converts. And so I began to read, and I began to study, and I began to look at all the evidence that was out there. My faith became strengthened. And for my own self, I began to realize, oh my goodness, this word is different than any other word that's ever been written. There's so much evidence to back it up, so much manuscript evidence and other kinds of evidence that's been put out there. I can actually trust that this was carefully put together, that this is inspired. And a few weekends from now, we're going to talk about what does it mean that God's word is inspired. And, and I gained my, my confidence back. And I came to that conviction. Yes, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's authoritative. And I can trust it. I see how we got it. I see the sources from which it came. I see what God has done throughout the ages. I see how the prophecies have all come true. I see how consistent it is. I see how it's changed lives. Yes, this indeed is the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. B-L-E, God's Word. But maybe some of you have questions lingering in your mind. You've not had a chance to maybe go to seminary or some school like that, really study and find out where did the Scriptures come from, how is it we can believe that they are the truth. What I don't want to do in this series is stand up here and regurgitate back to you a whole bunch of facts and figures from the great minds who have studied this. So what I've decided to do is to tell you about 
four different sources that you could go to that are fairly easy reads that would give you more facts and more information you know what to do with that would help you answer some of those questions and they'll give you more than I could possibly give you in this series or these next couple of weekends. And so we've listed them for you. I'm going to put it on my blog spot on the web so you can uh, actually go and write it down. But here's a couple of them. Uh, Josh McDowell. How many of you have heard of Josh McDowell? All right. He was just here last weekend, right? He's got a great book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I think we have some at the Resource Center at 111th as well. Lee Strobel, who's a little newer on the scene uh, in terms of dating back to when I was struggling with things. And his book, A Case for Christ, is an excellent book. He was a doubter. Both Josh and Lee were doubters. They wanted to prove the Bible and God wrong. And as they came to grips with evidence, God changed their lives. You want something a little heavier? Really great book, Norman Geisler, From God to Us, How We Got the Bible. Great book, all right? Great book, read that. And if you want to read someone, all right, who is going to just challenge you and he's going to encourage you, but he's of a philosophical mind, you have to have a dictionary present with you when you read him, it's a guy by the name of Robbie Zacharias. And he wrote a book, many books, but here's one, Jesus Among Other Gods, The Absolute Claims of the Christian, all right, or the Christian faith. So again, you can go to our website, I'll be on the black spot there, and and you might want to go and, and get one of these books and start to chew on this. You can get them at Amazon.com. You can get them at a Christian bookstore. Some of these books are available at Barnes & Noble, places like that. But uh, you start to do that research. Say, Pastor, I really don't need to do that because, you know, I- I've settled it. The Bible is God's word to me. And I'm, I'm glad for that. But how many of you have children or grandchildren? Let me see your hands. All right, 111, let me see your hands. All right? Most of us do. A lot of us do. What are you going to do when your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter come to you and say, Hey, mom, dad, our teacher at school said da-da-da-da-da-da. Or my professor in college said da-da-da-da-da. Or my peers and friends are raising this issue. They, they say that the Bible is not true, that it's, that it's just myth. What are you going to do? You can't just look at them and say, Oh, honey, listen, we believe the Bible's true. Let it go. All right? Because you're not helping them at that moment. You're actually going to increase their doubt. You've got to be able to respond to them. And the best way to do that is to, is to understand the evidence behind the faith. What I want to do, however, the next couple of weekends, is I want to talk to you about something else that happened and is happening in my life that has really helped me arrive at the conviction that the Word of God indeed is the Word of God and that has led me to a passion and a joy and a love for God's Word. And I think it'll revolutionize your attitude toward God's Word. I think that for those of you who are parents, what I'm about to share the next couple of weekends could radically, radically change the way your kids look at God's Word, the way you collectively look at God's Word, I think it could breathe fresh life into the concept of having a devotional time with your family, with your children, with your spouse, or if you're a single parent, with your kids. I really do. I believe it's that big 
I believe it's that important. I believe it's that radical that it's going to bless your life. And I've never shared this before. So this is the first time that, that I've ever shared this in, in a form of, of teaching. But as I was getting ready for this, I just, I just started getting nauseated when I started thinking about standing up here and reciting facts and evidence and manuscripts and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I can't do this, God. They can buy books that will do that. And the Lord just impressed me, searching your own heart. What is it that I've been doing in your life, Dale, and have been doing? What is it that has captured your heart and mind with my word? And then I got excited. And I thought, I can share that because it's so relevant to me. You know, a lot of people have Bibles in their homes. A lot of students have Bibles in their rooms. But so few people read the Bible. So few kids read the Bible. How many of you as parents have, it's a challenge for you to get your kids to want to read the Bible. Let me see your hands. Be honest, right? It's a huge challenge. Some kids are unique and they're just, they're right at it. Maybe they figured out what I'm going to talk about. But it is a big challenge. For young adults, it's a huge challenge. How do we get them motivated? Well, what I have discovered in my own personal life my walk with God and my studies, is that one of the reasons why I think we have a hard time just resting with great confidence that the Bible is God's word. And I think one of the reasons why we have a hard time being passionate and loving to read God's word is because we have a Western mindset toward God's word. And what I mean by a Western mindset is that we tend to look at God's word the way we look at a textbook in school. And that's how we've been taught to approach God's word and receive God's word. Like it's a, like it's a textbook that I need to read and, and I need to study and parse and break down and pull apart and, and try to get, you know, to the, the nitty gritty of what it means. And, you know, for some of you that, you love doing that. And I applaud that. But for most people... That's, that's not really how they're made to think. You know, for a lot of kids who go to a public school, school is so hard for them. It's not because they're not smart. No, they're smart kids. It's just that they approach life differently than the way the Western academic system is set up. They are forced to learn in a way that's unnatural to them. I am a class A example of that. I had such a hard time going to school because I was forced to learn, came back from Michigan, I was forced to learn the Western way of learning. Now, here's the deal. The Bible is not written from a Western mindset. The Bible is written from an Eastern mindset. And the way an Eastern mind would write the Bible, the way an Eastern mind would look at the Bible is so different than the way a Western mind approaches it. Say, well, what's the difference? The Western mind has a tendency to look at the Bible as a text. The Eastern mind looks at the Bible as a story. True story. Infallible story. Inspired story by God, but story. And there's a huge difference between a text a school type of text, and a story. You look at them differently. You understand them differently. You comprehend them differently. You approach them differently. You receive them differently. Let me give you an example of what I mean. 
Let's imagine that uh, uh, you love uh, classical music and uh, you're going to go to a, a special performance where a world-famous, world-class uh, pianist is going, to, is going to play these ten classical pieces. And you are so excited. And you want your family to go and your kids are like, please spare us. But you tell your kids, no, 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 no. I know it sounds really boring, but listen, when you're there, the music will transport your soul. I promise you, or I'll never make you go again. And your kids go, okay, all right. So you get them there. You've bought the best tickets. You are seated right close toward the front. You're excited. There's a noisy crowd. There are other people who are excited. And then all of a sudden, the lights go down. And there's a beautiful Steinway piano on the stage. The spotlight comes down on that beautiful Steinway piano. And then out comes the brilliant performer who's going to play this music. She's announced and everybody applauds, right? Clap, 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 clap. And then all of a sudden it gets really quiet. And she sits down at the, at the piano bench and she lifts her hands and you're sitting there going, oh, I can, I already feel my soul being transported. And then she stops. And she gets up and she comes and she stands over by the panel and she grabs a microphone and she says, I'd like to share with you the history of the Steinway Piano Company. <laughs> and so she gives you the, the entire history of the family. And they said, I'd like to share with you how, how Steinway panels are put together. And so there's like 200 PowerPoint slides that go up. And you see every piece of the Steinway piano. And 45 minutes later, she's finished. And you're kind of agitated. I mean, the only people on the edge of the seats are the people who, are, are, uh, who build pianos or who have Steinway as their last name. Your kids have a glazed look on their face. They are there in body, but they have checked out and gone somewhere else. And you're kind of upset about this whole thing because you came, you came to be moved by the music. So finally she sits down and you're going, okay, redeem yourself, please. And she raises her hands up and you're getting ready and she stops again. And she gets up and she stands by the piano again and she says, I'd like to explain to you this piece I'm about to play. And out come the PowerPoint slides again. And she goes through each measure, each note. She gives you the history of the piece, the history of the composer, how it's been put together. An hour later, everybody is gone except four people and you. And the four people who are there are there because it's part of the graduate degree uh, requirement that they come and listen to this. And you, you walk out absolutely frustrated and upset because A, she ruined the concert for you. And B, you know you'll never get your family back again. Listen to me. That happens every weekend in churches across America. People come to hear a concert. They come to have their souls and hearts stirred and moved by God. And what we do is we spend our time explaining everything to them. And they don't get the experience. And they're put off from God's work. They watched some bald guy stand up there and make the word of God so complicated that they figured 
They just figure, why should I try to read it for myself? I could hardly understand what he was saying about it. Why do I want to try to read and understand this? Or they listen to some person in a Sunday school class draw on forever in a day and it's so stinking boring. Their whole concept is God's word must be the most boring thing on earth. And some of us just look at it and we just go, you know, I I guess I got to read the word of God, but to me it's like taking bad tasting medicine. I know it's good for me and I got to do it, but I'm not enjoying it because... I look at it as something I have to analyze, parse, and take apart. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? Don't misunderstand me. I do believe you have to get behind the story, and I believe you've got to get to know the characters, and I, got, I believe you have to know what kind of literature it is, and I believe you have to know what the words mean, and I believe you have to know what the arguments are and what's behind it. I think you've got to get into the details of it. Don't get me wrong. I believe that, all right? But think about this for a minute. Think about this just generally in life. When you go to an art gallery and stand in front of a painting that you love, you are drawn to that painting because because when you look at it, it's so stunning, it's so beautiful, it's so intricate. It just speaks to you like a concert. And because you like it so much, when you leave, you start wanting to ask questions. You say, well, I I want to get to know who the artist is better and... I want to study what kind of canvas they used and how did they, how did they swirl those colors together and, and what kind of stroke and, and what kind of painting and what period does this come from? You see, you've been so moved, you want to now know the details, right? Or it's like watching a movie. You watch this great movie, you're, you're so moved by the movie, you love that movie. I mean, you watch it three, four, five times, you're never bored of the movie. And then you decide, you know what, I've got to find out who directed, who produced, who wrote this movie. I want to find out more about the actors, the actresses. I want to find out about how they filmed it, the special effects. How did they get that to do this? And and how did they make this happen? But all the analysis comes after you've been moved by the art, right? Same thing is true when it comes to the Word of God. Same thing is true when it comes to story. The story moves you, and it's being moved by it that then causes you to say, ooh, now... Now I want to really understand the story behind the story, the details behind the story. And all I'm suggesting is we get it backwards. We come at it and when I analyze it first, and then we don't, get, we don't really ever understand the story. We have the bits and the pieces. We have the details, but we don't see the grand, beautiful sunset that's been painted for us. So... Beginning here in the next couple of minutes, and then especially next weekend, I, I want to do something, like I said, it's the first time I've ever done it. I want to show you next weekend how to read the Bible. Exciting, exhilarating way. And then I want to show you how to analyze it in an exhilarating, fun, and exciting way. And I'll give you just a little tease. You know, most of the Bible was orally handed down. Most of the Bible was oral stories that were passed down from one generation to another. In fact, it says over in uh, Psalm 78, verse 1, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable or a story. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next 
generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. You hear what Asaph is saying? He's saying, I want to tell you the stories of God, what he has done. So you can pass them along to others. So we won't forget what God has done. Because most of the Bible was told and listened to. Thank God it was written down so we can keep the story straight. Thank God for Gutenberg and the, and the printing press. But it kind of did a little damage to the way the Bible is supposed to be taken. Because you don't understand a story the same way you do when you hear it and tell it. When you actually read it. Hearing and telling a story gives you an entirely different experience than just sitting there and trying to stay awake and reading it. So next weekend, I want to talk about the hearing and the telling, and then I want to talk about the reading and the analyzing. And it's going to be, can I say this? It's going to be fun. Do you know that the Bible can be fun? The Word of God can be fun. But to get you started, I need to say this, all right? This is huge. This is, this is a key, all right? The Bible is God's story, all right? It is, first of all and foremost, God's story. And if I were to give you the arc of God's story, if I were to break the Bible down, the big story of the Bible, and a guy by the name of Scott McKnight talks about this, it begins with God, right? And God creates this guy by the name of Adam, right? Out of the earth. And then he splits the atom, right? And you've got man, and then he creates what? Isha and Isha, he creates the woman, right? And what is so cool is then God brings them back together again, doesn't he? Husband and wife, and the two become what? One flesh. And already the story is so exciting because in this thing called marriage, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, experience something of what God experienced in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct personalities, one divine essence. Two people come together under God. You have a mixture of three coming together and a oneness. And that's something that you can only discover and understand in marriage. And that's why marriage is so sacred to God. But then the serpent shows up, right? And he convinces Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And God's creation is cracked. It's broken. Sin is now born into the scene. And so the story moves on. And God calls together a covenant community called Israel to preserve his word and to deliver a savior and to spare the world. Now, the sad thing about Israel is that they fail miserably. Read your Old Testament. They fail miserably until finally God sends the greatest hero of all, his son, Jesus Christ, 
who dies on the cross to repair the divide between us and God and us and each other. And when we come to faith in Christ, our relationship is restored with God and our relationship is restored with each other. And God creates this thing called the church, which is supposed to be a little bit of heaven on earth. A place where the world can look at us and say, oh, look, they are, they are one with God and they are one with each other. And the Lord says at the very end, his son is going to return and then you will have final consummation and we'll go back to the garden, so to speak. We'll have, here we have paradise lost. Here we're going to have paradise regained. That is the big story of the Bible. And within that big story, there are so many other small stories that take place. Plots and subplots that build into this big story. But listen carefully. This story is not just about God and Adam and Eve and God and Abraham and God and Israel and God and the judges and God and the king and God and the prophets and God and his precious son and God and the disciples and God and, and, and the apostle Paul. No, listen carefully now. The Bible is God's story about you. And that's the key. If you want to get anything out of it, if you want to be blessed If you want to be passionate, if you want your conviction and confidence in God's word to go deeper, then you must believe this is God's story about you. Because when God created Adam and Eve, let's say when God created Adam, you were there. You were in Adam. You are a son or a daughter of the first couple. My kids sometimes love to get out the family album. And any old family writings or letters that we have that predate them years and years before. And they love to read these things. They love to look at those things. And they love to ask us questions. And I I ask myself, what is it that fascinates them about the Hummel past or my wife's maiden name, Thone, her past? What is it that fascinates them? It's the identity they get from it. It speaks to them of their identity. It speaks to them of their place in time and history. It speaks to them of their purpose. You and I need to go back to God's story to recover our identity, to see our purpose. Because from Genesis to Revelation, you are in every story. You are pictured in every scene. And until you can see yourself in the story and see yourself in every scene... The Bible is going to seem like something distant and far from you. It will seem like a story about other people. And I don't know about you. It's hard to get into a story about somebody else's life. Have you ever, and this has happened to me. Have you ever gone to someone else's home? You've been invited over as a guest. And then they have a bunch of their friends over. And you don't know any of them. And they start telling stories about their vacations. And stories about their parties. And stories about all the good times they've had. And they're laughing at the inside jokes and whatnot. And you just sit there and you go, I want to go home. That's happened to me. I, I don't belong here. I don't know this story. That's why a lot of people are distracted from God's word. That's why a lot of people are passionate about it. It's like this story in the past of... Of all these other people, and I know somehow it has something to do with me, but it's, but I, no, it's about you. It's your picture in that book as well. 
And next weekend, we're going to talk about how do you see yourself in a story? Ask yourself this question. Homework assignment, okay? I'm going to make it really easy. Why don't you think about your favorite story or your favorite movie, okay? And then I want you to ask yourself this question until we see each other next weekend. And I'm going to shut my mouth down now and not give it away, all right? Why is it? Why is it you resonate so much with that movie? You resonate so much with that story. Why is it you will watch that movie over and over and over again and never get tired of it like Pride and Prejudice or like Love Comes Softly and Love Comes This Time and That Time. You know that whole series, that whole deal? You can tell I don't watch that over and over again. My wife does. But what are the movies, what are the stories you watch, the stories you listen to? I want you to ask yourself, what? What, what is it about that that hooks me? And that's going to help us understand what it is about the Bible that can hook us into. Are you excited about that? <laughs> we'll move next weekend's service into a very small room for the 15 or 20 of us because the rest of you read the Word of God voraciously and you're in love with the Word of God and you're very passionate about it already. Does it excite you about this next weekend? Oh, God, that's like music to, to my ears, all right? So it's going to be a great time, all right? Enough said. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God living sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierces us right to the marrow of our bones. And God, I confess to you, there's so many times where your word does not even get past my skin because my attitude toward it is all messed up. And Father, uh, I think if, if many of us would be honest this weekend, we would have to say, it's been a long time since we've been moved by the word of God. It's been a long time since we've hungered and wanted God's word right now where we were looking forward to the next day. We can hardly put it down. I'm asking you to do something revolutionary at the Compass Church. I'm asking you, oh God, to help us see your word in a new light, in a new way that will make our hearts beat faster and our minds, oh God, be filled with the greatest story has ever been told. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.